0: you are listening to ideas and leaders podcast. I'm Elena Paventa, executive communication coach and TEDx organizer. With each episode, I'll share with you communication tips and ideas from top business leaders to help you excel in your career. Welcome to the next episode of Ideas and Leaders podcast. Today, my guest is Malik Parekh and he's an award-winning CEO of Global Companies. Currently, he's an entrepreneur and he's a book author, keynote speaker. And his book, Future Proof Your Career and Company, has a lot of insights and tips or managers and business owners. And today we will discuss some elements of this book. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hi, Malik. It's great to have you here on the podcast.
1: Hi, Elena. Good to be here with you. So thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: So Malik, in your book, Future Proof Your Korean Company, you're writing about the future of business. And that is really interesting to have this look in the future and I think what the next decade is bringing us. So what are your ideas about this? What do you think will happen in the next decade in the business environment?
1: Sure, well, uh, thank you uh, for the great question. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, by the way, this uh, book is a product of this uh, pandemic that we are all experiencing around the world. What I thought was everybody was so busy dealing with the side effects and the major effects of this pandemic. As leaders, maybe we were taking our eyes and ears off of what's happening on the horizon. Uh, and when I'm talking about the horizon, I'm talking about five to 10 years down the road. So you know, one day, hopefully soon, this crisis that we are facing around the world will pass. But uh, once it has passed, will be struggling with some of the other major influences that are taking place uh, as we speak. And I'm talking about three disruptive forces uh, artificial intelligence, the gig economy, and the digital natives. And the reason I selected these uh, three topics is because in my last three years as a CEO of the global company Elena, I saw the real impact of these three forces. You know, I saw uh, artificial intelligence tiptoeing into our workflows and our processes and our jobs. I saw digital natives, the millennials and Gen Zers, really storming the workplaces and turning it upside down. And thirdly, I saw the increasing popularity of the freelancing completely changing who gets the job done, where, when, and how. So when I started doing some research about these three forces, uh, Elena, I thought that they are all going to peak together over the next 10 years. And that's why the next 10 years will be probably the most disruptive of our times.
0: Yeah, those forces are definitely currently very strong. So how do you think the digital generation will transform the workplace in the future?
1: I'm not sure whether you have millennials or Gen Zers around you. I do have some. And when you see them, when you uh, look at them, you tend to kind of discard them because uh, we have always seen them as the entry-level employees or, you know, interns. We see them as this TikTok-ing, snapchat soya latte drinking generation, and we don't pay too much attention to them. But I think we need to start paying a lot of attention to them for three reasons. Number one, for sheer numbers. You know, right now, Gen Z is the largest generation in the world, with around 2.47 billion people. Millennials follow them very closely, with 2.4 billion people. Most importantly, by 2030, two thirds of the global workforce—two thirds, you know, more than 66 percent of the global workforce—will be made up of millennials and Gen Zers. You know, the baby boomers, the last batch of baby boomers, will be retiring by 2030, and uh, essentially workplaces will be stormed by the millennials and engineers. And so we need to start paying attention to them because right now they may be just interns or entry-level employees, but in 10 years, they may be sitting in positions of power and influence. And we must understand what gets them excited, what motivates them to bring out the best in them.
0: So how can we adapt to this change? What makes them excited and uh, how to adapt our workplaces to this change in the future?
1: Sure. And, you know, I I write uh, this extensively in the book. Uh, There are three different ways that they are very different than the other generations. There are multiple differences, you know, among them and the others, but there are three specific ones that uh, play out greatly at the workplaces. Number one, they want to work with the latest technology. I mean, think about it, uh, Lena, you know, for them, Siri was not an invention. Uh, for them internet was not an invention that was the way of their life every year they saw their iphone or their smartphone upgrading every year they saw siri and alexa getting better faster and smarter Uh, every year they saw internet connectivity increasing in its speed so for them the world is about getting better faster smarter than it was before so when they're looking for employers that they want to work for they're actually looking for employers who can offer them the latest technology, not the ones who still are dealing with the legacy system. So that's number one. Uh, if you want to attract these digital natives, uh, then you must uh, look at your IT infrastructure and make sure that it is truly employee friendly and not what we have been using in the past. Uh, the second thing that we need to keep in mind is that they're very entrepreneurial in nature. You know Why? Because... Nowadays, what it takes to start a new business, most of the online businesses, you essentially need a smartphone or a PC or a tablet and internet connectivity, and uh, you can be in the business of uh, online digital marketing. You could be producing your own TikTok videos and have millions of followers. And I talk about you know some of the biggest names in TikToks, the Charlie De Emilio, you know Jacob Sartorius, people that you and I may have never heard of them. But if you ask the millennials and Gen Zers, they know these people because they have 83, 85 million followers on TikTok. And they were just born after 2000. Think about it. These people know how to use technology for their entrepreneurial pursuits. So that's the second thing. And the third thing we need to keep in mind to get them excited, get them motivated, is that they're very purpose-driven more than the other generations. What I mean by that is that they want to work for an employer who is actually going above and beyond just uh, profit and margin issues and making a difference in the world, whether uh, believing in making the environment a better place, uh, whether making a gender equality a primary goal for the company, all of those things are very important to them. So if you're a company that only talks about uh, philanthropy in your annual report in one paragraph, then they are not going to get excited about it. But if they come to your offices, and if they come to your um, stores, and if they see that you are genuinely interested in making a difference in the world, then you are going to get them attracted, not only just as an employee, but also as a consumer.
0: Yes, absolutely. They want to change the world. And they want to see that we are using this technology and we are good in technology just as they are. And it is yes. interesting that you mentioned this different mindset and this change in mindset, because when I was writing my PhD thesis a couple of years ago, I was doing research on boring global companies. And uh, those are companies which start operations globally immediately. And when I was interviewing those entrepreneurs, I realized that they have completely different mindset those people and they mainly young people they just don't see the borders they don't see any limitations they just have technology that allows them to start doing business globally immediately and also this pandemic now on top of this it added huge boost of digital businesses and Absolutely.
1: Uh, one of the um, interesting uh, anecdote or a study that i came across recently was that a 5 year old in uh, let's say the philippines or in poland has more in common with a 5 year old in the us today than their parents Now, think about it. When I was growing up in India, I didn't have anything in common with a five-year-old peer in the U.S. or in the Philippines or Poland. I had more in common with my parents because we all lived in this very small, close-knit family in a village, in a city. Uh, We didn't have this access to the globe. You know, we didn't have access to learning about... What's happening in other parts of the world through YouTube, through TikTok, through many other channels. But today that has changed because even a five-year-old today, my, my daughter who just turned four a couple of months ago, she has more in common with a four-year-old American than me. because she relates to them because of the technology. So that's something that will play out in their lives over the years.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And also speaking about children, also looking at my children now, uh, I have two daughters, they are eight and 11 now, and they are educating me on some certain aspects of YouTube, you know, how some uh, of those online technologies work. And I can see the huge shift that the younger generation knows much more about technology than the, the older generation. And I think that this gap will be bigger and bigger with years. So absolutely, I, I, agree. Can, uh, I can agree with you on this. And molik you uh, speaking about the gig economy. This is also a very interesting trend that is getting more and more popular now. So how do you think this trend will transform our companies and also how can it transform our future careers
1: sure sure so you know when i was doing research for the book uh, it uh, it was no-brainer for me to include why artificial intelligence will be a powerful force because it's everywhere and we feel it it was a no-brainer to talk about digital natives and how they would transform the world but As I did more research, I realized that the gig economy is probably the most powerful among the three forces that I just talked about. And it's because of this very simple reason. And the reason is, at the end of the day, as humans, we crave for freedom. Why do we say, thank God it's Friday, not thank God it's Monday? Because on Monday, we lose some of that freedom. You know, part of our day, somebody else is going to tell us, what we do, how we do it, when we do it, with whom we do it. The reason we say thank God it's Friday is because during the weekend, we at least in our personal lives, we are the boss, we control the destiny, at least for the next couple of days, right? Because of the freelancing, it gives you an opportunity to have that freedom starting Monday all the way until Friday as well. Because now you decide whether you want to work with that certain company, whether you want to work with that certain person or not. You decide whether You are working in your pajamas, sitting at a kitchen table at five in the morning. Nobody's telling you, hey, you can only work between nine to five, because maybe nine to five is not your primary, your most optimal time to work, right? So you have so much freedom because of the freelancing or the gig economy. And uh, it's really gaining momentum now. Some of the studies that I came across, uh, Elena, was in the U.S. Currently, 37% of the U.S. workforce is already involved in some freelancing. And that number is going to increase to 50% by 2027. And we are not just talking about because when we think about gig economy sometimes we think oh well you know that only applies to the uber driver or the grab driver or the person who delivers your pizza or the person who walks your dog you know in the us uh, you got the dog walkers uh, who can uh, be hired to walk your dogs but that's not the case 40 percent of the freelancing economy is made up of very skilled highly educated professionals And they are the professionals in computer engineering, marketing, business consulting, legal research, many very unique fields that require advanced degrees. In fact, during my research, I came across a couple of Harvard MBAs who had their profiles up on one of the freelancing platforms. There was also a Harvard Law School graduate who was essentially offering his services on freelance. Now, whether people can afford them or not is a different story, but even they are realizing that instead of working for a large organization where you lose your freedom, it's actually better to strike out on your own, make a living on your own way and control your destiny. So this phenomenon has a very powerful impact on how the work will get done over the years how businesses will transform itself.
0: Yes, as a freelancer myself, partly freelancers, I'm working at the university. I'm assistant professor at the University of Economics. And also I am working as a freelancer, as a communication coach. And I can feel this freedom, that the benefits of this freedom. And I can, I also know a lot of people who want to move from their corporate careers and start doing freelancing but what about those people who prefer work in the corporate environments you know that because it is not for everyone and i also know such people who like being told what to do who like working in, in a certain framework because this is optimal for them so in the face of this new trend how do you think companies can somehow transform and maybe develop their employees so that this trend is beneficial for
1: everyone sure no you're absolutely right that you know freelancing also requires a lot of hustle right uh, Clients don't automatically come into your lap. I mean, you have to go out and market yourself. You need to put your profiles up in the right places. You need to be doing a lot of social media marketing engagement with your audience. And it may not be a cup of tea for everyone. And uh, we get that. So I think uh, there are a couple of things that we need to keep in mind. You know, so for employers, there are two challenges that they would be faced with. Number one, they would need to attract now the people to work for them. In the past, when you are competing for the human resources, the talent, uh, you're only competing with a company next door or uh, you know, company in the neighborhood. Now, you are also competing with people's desire to pursue their own career, uh, their own desire to be the masters of their destiny. You are also competing with companies around the world because you could easily be remotely working for another company that's 10,000 miles away from you not just around the corner from where you live. So that's number one. Companies would have to bring an A game to the table when they are trying to attract and retain the employees. The second thing the companies would need to keep in mind is that in order for them to retain this very entrepreneurial digital natives, they would need to completely do a reset of their company culture. Uh, Typically, you know, especially the days when I finished my schooling and uh, started working out. I typically work for companies where the bosses at the top were making the decisions. The companies were very hierarchical. And if you are just a newbie in the company, your job was to just follow the directions and carry out those decisions that were made at the very top. That needs to change now. Uh, You would need to really tap into the entrepreneurial brains these people bring to the table. You need to give them the freedom to come up with new ideas, if every time they come up with a new idea, the only thing they hear back from the company is, oh, we have thought about it before and it never worked. If they keep hearing that, you're going to lose them. So it's very important to retain these employees by creating what I call in the book entrepreneurial culture where these employees have the best of the both worlds. They are working for a company, so they have the safety net of having this, you know, stream of income coming to them. They're not worried about uh, where the next paycheck is going to come from if you're only doing freelancing. But they're also having the freedom to carry out their ideas. They have the freedom to manifest their own ideas working within the organization. So if you can create that best of the both worlds within the company, I think that would be a great way to take advantage of this freelancing culture that we are going to see more and more of over the next decade.
0: A lot of big international corporations are now incorporating this trend of entrepreneurship and they are encouraging people to be entrepreneurial within their departments and they create project teams which are completely independent. So I can clearly see that. This trend is being followed by the biggest players on the market. So what do you think how this company of the future should look like? So we mentioned that we need to encourage entrepreneurial attitude, that we need to be focused on technology. What else do you think is important? for the companies of the future to stay on the market?
1: Sure. So one of the metaphors that I use in the book is, you know, typically the traditional companies are like the mothership, you know, this large ship going through the ocean. And yes, it's very big. It's formidable, but it's extremely slow and very hard to maneuver. And all the employees are staggered in various levels within the organization. And it's very difficult to make decisions in that, kind of a setting. The companies of the future are like the the ones like Spotify or Amazon or Google. I mean, look an example of Spotify. Uh, they have essentially turned the entire organization into a squad of eight to 10 employees. And these squads are fully autonomous in terms of what projects they take on, uh, how they work, how they organize. They, within that group, that comes together just for that project, they decide who is the leader and who is gonna do the marketing, who is gonna do the technology. And then they not only come up with the product, but they're also responsible for making sure that it becomes successful out in the marketplace. And so the way to kind of look at that metaphor is that while the traditional companies are like the mothership with thousands of people on it, but very hard to maneuver, Spotify also has a mothership, but it also has most of its employees in these smaller speed boats. And because they are in this small, agile speedboats, they're able to change direction at a moment's notice. They're able to decide on the fly what they need to do next, given the changes in the competitive environment. Again, all these squads or the speedboats are still connected and aligned with the overarching goals and vision of the mothership. But they are not encumbered. They are not burdened by the lack of speed, the lack of agility. So when you look at the futuristic organization, you are looking at an organization that promotes entrepreneurship, that promotes autonomy, that removes the layers, that removes the walls. If you can create that kind of organization, a living, breathing organism then you are future-proof, at least for the next 10 to 20 years.
0: It sounds wonderful. Just if all companies could do this, then it would be perfect. I'm thinking that not all companies are able and they are not ready for this transformation. And a lot of companies uh, also fail at this um, innovation, fail at digital transformation. What do you think? Why uh, usually companies fail on this journey to their future and how to avoid this?
1: Sure. So, you know, the first thing companies would need to realize is that it's not anymore a matter of whether you want to go through this transition from the mothership to a bunch of speedboats in the ocean. If you don't do it, you are most likely going to encounter a David who is going to come in significantly smaller than you, but feistier and can bring you down as a Goliath. So it's no longer a choice. Well, you know, that's too much work. I don't think I want to take my company through that anymore. Because uh, if you think that way, then uh, you are essentially paving the way for extinction in the next few years. Uh, There is always going to be an Amazon of your industry. There is always going to be an Uber of your industry. There is always going to be Airbnb of your industry. That's going to completely disrupt the way you work and the way you create value for your shareholders and for other stakeholders. If you don't change, then somebody else is going to come and disrupt you at the same time. So that's very important that it's no longer, as I write in the book, it's not a question of whether you want to do it or not. Uh, It's a must do now going forward. You have to create that culture of innovation within your organization. So to answer your question as to why companies fail, at uh, both digital transformation and uh, creating culture of innovation. So let's talk about digital transformation first. You know, according to a recent McKinsey study, only 16% of the companies succeed in successfully carrying out the digital transformation, as you mentioned. And why is that? Because a lot of companies think that digital transformation is about the technology, that if they just go out and buy the latest and the greatest technology, that's the latest buzzword in the marketplace, And if they stick this technology into their existing, dilapidated, outdated legacy system, then automatically overnight, they would become digitally transformed. That's not the case. In order for you to digitally transform your business, you have to start with the end in mind. You know, as Stephen Covey in his book says, begin with end in mind. And the end for the digital transformation is about how can you create value for your customers? How can you enhance your employee experience? How do you need to revamp or completely change your business model? These are the three primary questions you have to ask as to how can you enhance your customer experience? How can you enhance your employee experience? And how can you revamp or change your business model? And then everything else becomes the means to an end. And within those means, then you can look at the technology, you can look at the processes, you look at at the people and all sorts of things that you need to do to make sure that digital transformation is there. A lot of companies do the opposite. They start with the technology and think that all the other things will fall into place. So that's on the digital transformation piece. On the innovation side, everybody talks about innovation. You know, that's the greatest buzzword now. I write in the book that if you... Google the definition of innovation, there are at least you know 100 definitions that I came across. Um, so different people have a different view of what innovation means. But the one definition that I like was by Tim Castell. He wrote one of the great books on the technology. And he says that innovation is about executing new ideas to create value. Think about it. All three very powerful words, right? First of all, you have to execute it. You can't just think and daydream because nothing happens by daydreaming. Secondly, you have to execute new ideas. And thirdly, and most importantly, to create value. You could have amazing new ideas, but if they don't create any value for any of your stakeholders, then obviously, you know, it's not innovation. There's no value creation, right? So first thing you have to do is actually to agree as a company as a leadership team, what innovation means to you as an organization. Once you have that, then you need to decide what is our innovation strategy? Are we going after the incremental innovation, which is you know adding just a tiny bit more value every year in your existing products? Like you know, Gillette razor, for example, I've been using it for the last 30 years and every year it changes, it gets better and better. The first Gillette razor I used had only one blade. Today, it has five blades and it has all other features that make shaving such a pleasant experience versus what it was just a few years ago. So that's incremental innovation. Or you are after adjacent innovation where, you know, in the case of Amazon, for example, they started out selling books online, but then they went and started selling other products to their existing customers. So that's the example of adjacent innovation. And the third thing you can look at is also transformational innovation. When Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, for example. There was no market for iPhone or smartphone at that time. He introduced a new category. He introduced a new market. So company needs to look at their own business model and decide what percentage of innovation needs to be incremental innovation, what percentage of their innovation needs to be adjacent innovation, and what percentage of their innovation needs to be transformational innovation. You know, if you're a startup, you can go 100% on transformational innovation. If you are an incumbent in an FNCG marketplace, then 90% of your innovation effort would be most likely in just the incremental innovation. So those are some of the things that you have to look at. And then once you have the strategy, obviously the most important thing is to have the buy-in from the board of directors and the CEOs, and then executing them. Because it's one thing to create a great idea, put a nice PowerPoint slide together, but then nothing happens to it doesn't create innovation for the company as well.
0: Yeah, I really love that you're saying about executing, that it is not enough just to plan and to dream about changes, but also to execute and to bring those ideas into action. So, uh, Monik, thank you very much for this insightful conversation. I also wanted to ask you the last question to sum up kind of what we were speaking about. So, what would you Recommend for companies and for the managers, for business leaders who are listening to us, what would you recommend them to do to change in order to be future proof for the last decade or so?
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, in the book, there are two sections dedicated to one for future proofing your company and then one for future proofing your career. In terms of the company, first of all, the future is digital. So you must transform your business. The legacy business that you've been running may have been successful in the past, but it may not be successful in the future. So you have to really take a step back and digitally transform your business. The second thing you have to do is that future is meaningful and you have to infuse purpose. In order for you to attract these young generations, uh, the digital natives, you must have a purpose that is larger than just revenue numbers and the profit numbers and the quarterly targets that you need to meet. You need to do something that attracts them to you, that inspires them, so they can give you, your company, 100% of their effort. The third thing you have to do is that the future is boundless. There are so many new opportunities would be coming to us because of the way the world is changing, and you must create a culture of innovation to take advantage of that. The future is new, and that means you have to unleash lifelong learning within yourself as a leader. You have to continuously sharpen your saw, continues to find a better yourself as you go into the future, you also have to create that environment where your people, your employees, are also adhering to this concept of lifelong learning. And then the fifth dimension of the future is that the future is fun, and you must create an adventure out of it so that your employees, even though they may be going through some stressful, some difficult times, given all the disruptions in the marketplace, they still enjoy the experience. And when they look back 20 years from now, they would say, you know what, working for that company was probably one of the journey of a lifetime versus saying, oh my God, I couldn't believe I spent two years or five years with that company and it was a nightmare waking up in the morning going to the work. So leaders have the opportunity to create the kind of environment that the employees would love to work for and create tremendous value for all the key stakeholders.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Malik, for all the wisdom you shared with us today. If our listeners are interested in this topic, and if you listen to the end, and for sure you are interested in this topic, I'm really recommending to get the book, Future Proof Your Career and Company. And Malik, can you please tell our listeners where can we find and where can we buy your book?
1: Sure. Well, uh, the book, uh, Elena, is available on Amazon around the world. So just uh, look for Future Proof, Your Company and Career. And then obviously, you can also gather more data points. Uh, I share a lot of tidbits about the book, key insights from it on my social media channels. Uh, You could find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, I am Molik Parekh, uh, or on Instagram and a couple of other channels. So just to make it easy, you can just go to my website, malikparekh.com. And you have all the channels uh, there and you, know, you can pick and choose which uh, makes the most sense for you. But I would love to have your audience and your uh, viewers and listeners uh, tag along in this journey with me.
0: Perfect. I will put all the links to your profiles and to your book under our episodes so that it will be easier for our listeners to get to you and to contact you for additional questions and comments if they want to. Thank you very much, Malik, for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Elena. It has been such a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your LinkedIn profile and using a hashtag IdeasandLeaders. See you in the next episode.